It's a story about self-forgiveness and uh, about, I mean, every, you could say that about every young adult book. It's very much a coming of age story. Uh, Mallory is 18, so she's trying to figure out what it is that she wants from life and what it is that she would be happiest doing. Uh, but she has some trauma and uh, she definitely needs to forgive herself and she needs to kind of learn that she doesn't have to sort of face the world alone. So I, I think that is, uh, that is the main thing. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the latest episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. One of the facets of storytelling that we love is when a writer switches gears to work in a different genre. Our guest today has done just that with fabulous results, switching from adult rom-com to a young adult focus. In fact, Kirkus has given the newest book a starred review, saying in part, this captivating romance will delight teen readers as well as Hazelwood's adult fans. We're thrilled to talk with Allie Hazelwood about her newest book, Check and Mate. I am Ron Block. And I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. Allie Hazelwood is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Love Theoretically and The Love Hypothesis, as well as a writer of peer-reviewed articles about brain science in which no one makes out and the ever after is not always happy. Originally from Italy, she lived in Germany and Japan before moving to the U.S. to pursue a Ph.D. in neuroscience. When Allie is not at work, she can be found running, eating cake pops, or watching sci-fi movies with her three feline overlords and slightly less feline husband. We can't wait to dive in talking about this terrific book. Welcome to the podcast, Allie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I know, neuroscience. Don't, knowing that after I read the book is like, okay, I've got a lot of questions, but <laughs> we'll save those a little bit. It's so great to have you here, Allie. Um, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about the story of Check and Mate. And we always ask our guests afterwards, what is your book really about? <laughs> okay, so Check and Mate is uh, it's the story of Mallory, who is an 18-year-old uh, um who used to be a very skilled chess player, but in the last couple of years, she has stopped playing because of reasons that you find out yes. uh, later in the book. And uh, um, while she's doing a favor for her best friend and uh, playing at her, at what is supposed to be her very last tournament, she accidentally defeats the number one chess player in the world. And the book is very much the story of her getting back into chess and uh, sort of... Uh, um, you know, climbing the ranks and becoming very popular and uh, a very skilled chess player in her own right. And uh, in terms of what this story really is about, I, I would guess it's a story about self-forgiveness and uh, about, I mean, every, you could say that about every young adult book. It's very much a coming of age story. Uh, mm -hmm. Mallory's 18. So she's trying to 
figure out what it is that she wants from life and what it is that she would be happiest doing. Uh, but she has some trauma and uh, um, she definitely needs to forgive herself and she needs to kind of learn that she doesn't have to sort of face the world alone. So I, I think that is, uh, that is the main thing. That's, that's spot on too. That's so good. <laughs> I love that. Well, Ali, as we mentioned in your introduction, this is your YA debut. So congratulations on that. What was that like to switch over for you and what made you decide to tackle a different genre? So I, it wasn't kind of intentional. It was very much uh, a situation where I really had this story that I, I wanted to tell. It was a story I've always been not only in love with chess, but also in love with chess players. Um, oh. Yeah. So professional chess players are just kind of something else, like the type of training that they have to do to play at that level. Like they are skilled and they have natural talent for sure, but talent isn't enough. Like they have to study a lot. They have to be like on track. And uh, it's, it's such a, the type of discipline that being a professional chess player requires uh, has always been so fascinating to me. And I really wanted to write a story that had chess players as main characters. So that was always kind of there. Um, I think I wrote the first little snippets of the story back in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. Just, oh, wow. it wasn't, I didn't even have a plot, but I had like scenes that I was thinking of. I had things that I really, really wanted to somehow get, make sure that would have room in some kind of book that I maybe was going to write one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, when I started writing the book, it became clear to me pretty early that Mallory was going to have to be pretty young because of the story that I wanted to tell. And because when like chess players tend to rise to the top of their game when they are in their late teens, early 20s. It's just, it's, it's very much a young young person's game yeah. uh, because of the rigors and the discipline that it requires. So that's when it kind of became a YA book. I was like, okay, they have to be, the players have to be young. Let's write it as a kind of YA book. I know new adult is not a category that publishing accepts, but I, I very much conceived it as a new adult book. So something that people who are on the verge of uh, uh, becoming adults might right. Hmm. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking when I was reading it too. It's like it's not really a typical YA book, but it, but the new adult seems to be the new term that that we're using for people on the cusp between the two. Did you um, did you have a spot where you like instantly thought, "Bang, this is going to be my entry into this uh, this genre"? I think um, I think I realized that it, it has to have. In back at the plotting stage uh, where I was, uh, I think I was trying to figure out what the main conflict was going to be. Like you said earlier, there is what the summary of the story and what the story is really about. Mm-hmm. And I definitely wanted it to be a story in which, uh, you know, someone sort of has to let go of their past to be able mm-hmm. to grow into the adult that they can be. And I think that's when I realized that I really wanted it to be uh a young adult book or 
I didn't want Mallory to be a grown woman, right? Uh, sort of carrying the guilt and uh, um, all these like trauma and 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 terrible. There, are, I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers, but there are definitely some things she's struggling with a lot, and I didn't want her to be, you know, a thirty-five-year-old woman struggling with that. I wanted. Right. Not, not that there is anything bad as a 35-year-old woman. Like, I struggle with similar things, but, like, I wanted <laughs> I wanted better for Mallory. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And it's the right age for that, too. She's yeah. at the right age in the book for that, all of yes. that, too. <laughs> yeah. No, we gotcha. That's great. I love that. So, was there anything specifically – I mean, and, and, and no is a perfectly great answer. But was there anything – that you felt like made this story different kind of with this genre switch? Did you approach it differently or were you kind of putting on a different sort of like mindset or anything to kind of get into this slightly different genre or was it very similar? So, well, I definitely, uh, at that time. So when I was trying to, um, when I was writing the book, I was trying to read mostly YA books. Uh, This is just, you know, to get into the mindset of, uh, okay, the pacing has to be this way and the language has to be this way, you know? So just, just trying to make sure that the book, you know, the book was consistent with what YA readers would expect. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, uh, I would say that was the main thing. Um, There were a bunch of things that, were initially in the book and then as I was editing the book so I my editor for this book was my uh my adult editor who is Sarah Blumenstock and we worked together on this YA book as well but uh we also collaborated very closely with a young adult editor his name is is Paulo Orozco and he was uh, uh, he was great like he gave us a lot of feedback and he was like you know this type of issue is something that would be maybe a little bit too heavy for a YA book. So mm. let's do that. Um, I think it was mostly in edits that uh, the book kind of became a real YA book or new yeah. adult book. Right. That was very helpful in terms of that. Like, you know, there were things that he was just, I, I think this might be too triggering for readers or like a little bit too adult. And that is not to say that teenagers don't, don't deal with um, this type of issues and, and, and very serious issues because they absolutely do. But I think we were trying to have a relatively lighthearted yeah. uh, rom-com. So makes total yeah. sense. For sure. I love that. That's interesting. That's really neat that you were working with kind of two different editors on this. I one, love that. I think it's really cool, but I bet maybe in some moments was not great, but I bet it was. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like you're like, oh, okay, I did this. And like now, wait, I just changed that. And now this person wants to see it a different way. But maybe that didn't happen to you. <laughs> so we did. It was it was a very good like way of working that we had. So it wasn't that like I was getting feedback from two different people. Okay, um, they were like collaborating. Yeah. So they would, I think the way it worked, I would, I would work with my editor and she would work with the YA editor and she would like to pass okay. on. Yeah. That's so much it's very streamlined because <laughs> I've definitely been there. Um, not with that, but like uh, you know, I come from fan fiction, and in fan fiction, I would have maybe like two or three beta readers who yeah. would help me, um, you know, with a story, and they would like suggest completely different things, and I was like, uh, "What do I do? Yeah. What, what do I do?" So um, the book. Uh, speaking of chess, the book really made me want to. Um, 
know more about chess that I went and looked and I thought, oh, this can't be true. And I found that there were so many chess clubs across the country and so much competition and so much um, reverence to to that. And uh, to tell me, talk to us about like diving into that world and some of the research that you did to be able to talk about it so eloquently. Yeah, so this is actually something that I, um, I I struggled a bit with my editor because there were things about chess that my editor was like, this is not credible. Like, um, Nolan is uh, the main character, the main male character. He's the number one chess player in the world. And he's a little bit of a celebrity. And she was like, no, he wouldn't be. Like, no one would know who is. And I was like, believe me, chess players are famous for people. Yes. <laughs> Like Magnus Carlsen is, he's the current number one chess player in the world. He is a celebrity. He would get stopped in the street, maybe not by everyone, but, you know, by right. everyone who's interested in chess. He is a, a multimillionaire. He is, you know, he's a, he's a big deal. And I had to convince my editor that like chess players are really big deals and they are celebrities, which was kind of fun, honestly. Um, and then uh, right around the time that we were doing edits, uh, the last batch of edits, there was uh, that big uh, um, chess scandal, which you might remember. <laughs> it was this chess scandal where like someone was accused of cheating and they said, no, we haven't been cheating. And then uh, it kind of became uh, a matter of like, everyone played it for laugh because everyone was like, Oh, how is he cheating? Does he have something in up his butt that like vibrates? <laughs> you might have heard about it from that, but like, so it was, it was really, you know, the, 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 the cheating scandal was kind of a big deal. And that's how I got my, my editor to believe me that, you know, like <laughs> sport with, right. you know, people um uh in it but yeah absolutely so i've, I've always been uh, a chess fan i i play chess very poorly um not <laughs> mallory or nolan uh but i didn't need to do too much research just because i was always very much into this world mm-hmm. um I, there was a little bit i i've read a, a couple of chess biographies uh just to get myself uh uh I, I wanted to know what it is that chess players do in their daily lives. Like, what right. would be, uh, an actually uh, believable uh, day of training for a chess player. Um, so th- there was a little bit of digging into the behind the scenes of what a chess player's life is. But a lot of things I sort of already knew because it was, you know, my passion and uh, and a hobby of mine. Um other things, uh, definitely I had to, you know, research, uh, and th- there is a lot, like there is, you know, there are huge chess, uh, uh streamers. There are huge chess YouTubers who break down a bunch of things. Right. And again, I'm, I'm telling you, these people have millions of views. So <laughs> there's a lot of us. <laughs> And that's what I discovered. I went down this rabbit hole and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize that there were so many people into this. I know. And I think, especially lately, um, the Queen's Gambit has done a lot to make us popular. I mean, I think I want to say among Gen Zs, I feel like, I don't know, and millennials maybe, uh, but... There are several things that have made chess popular in the last few years. One is that, like again, like I said, it's become more and more of a young person's game, and uh, the current best chess players are actually like really funny people who 
so it's kind of fun to just kind of follow them and their back and forths on Twitter. Like it's 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 fun. It's interesting. You know, Magnus really Carlsen and Anish Giri have this weird rivalry where they sort of like roast each other on Twitter, and you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> I love I this. love it. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, That's and then. So uh, yeah, and 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 then uh, and then yeah, the Queen's Gambit definitely did a lot in the past. Oh too. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can see that. Made it like a little more accessible to people or something. Eating better is something we want to be convenient and easy. With Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals, every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. I'm looking forward to over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart. Protein Plus, and Keto. What are you waiting for? Let's get started today and get after our goals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prep, no mess. With Factor, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Join us and head to factormeals.com slash fiction50 and use code fiction50 to get 50% off. That's code fiction50 at factormeals.com slash fiction50 to get 50% off. I'm Kate. And I'm Corinne. We host the podcast Pop Fiction Women, where we deep dive into the best books, TV, and movies, as well as the women creating them. So who are we? Corinne is a lawyer who worked on Wall Street. She loves psychological thrillers that keep her guessing and has a soft spot for messy women trying to break cycles of addiction and self-sabotage. And Kate is a litigator who worked at some of the top international law firms. She loves romantic comedies that keep her swooning and has a soft spot for the ice queens who learn to let their heart lead over their heads. We cover a range of content like When Harry Met Sally, Fleabag, Yellow Jackets, Normal People, and Tell Me Lies. And we also interview your favorite authors like Emily Giffen, Tia Williams, and Rebecca Searle. Where we always ask the most important question of all, what's your sign? Subscribe or follow Pop Fiction Women wherever you get podcasts. So is it true? I mean, I read this, but you know, you can't believe everything you read on the internet that um, Check and Mate is loosely based off of Anna Kramling and Magnus Carlsen, but with a little romance thrown in there. No, I, <laughs> no. I mean, I uh, I definitely like used some elements from Magnus's life, uh, but more not just from Magnus's life. Like, I used elements from, like I said, I read a bunch of uh, biographies, uh, and I I used elements from the biographies of chess prodigies. So. Okay. Uh, you know, um, Magnus like Fisher was someone else that I found very interesting. Uh, it's it's that feeling of growing up as a, someone who is exalted as a genius at something, and you don't really have a normal childhood and uh, yeah. these kind of like formative moments that other people have, uh, social and academic moments that other people have, you kind of end up not having them because you are the best at something. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, I mean, it definitely wasn't based on uh, um, on him. And I, I don't know who, who the other, did you say Judith Polgar? 
That is hilarious, Anna Crambling. Okay, so there you go. You definitely cannot b- believe what you read on the internet. <laughs> it's I- not all true. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, uh, uh, no. I mean, I. There is the truth is that it would have been so amazing to base it off of something, but there aren't really. Um, since Judith Polgar, I, I thought you said Judith, Pol- Judith Polgar because she's the last uh, very big uh, female chess player who was, you know, in the top 20. But most che- most female chess players are just not really up there. So uh, sadly, it's not really possible to, to base it on anything that is factual and, and real. There are a lot of amazing female chess players, but uh, they, they tend to be, I think... I think uh, the 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 best player is like around the fifties, like in the top one hundred of players wow. right now. I don't know. I haven't checked the the most uh, the most up to date ranking, but um, yeah, it's it's been it's been like about a decade since uh, uh, women have been up there, and there are a lot of reasons for that, of course. But um, it's uh, it, it, I don't think it would be possible to base it off of. Uh, <laughs> Something like that. Okay. Well, the rivalry between Mallory and Nolan was really fun. And, you know, their first interaction where he basically like pays no attention to her at all until she beats him. So that um, (laughs) might've been one of my favorite scenes to read. Mine too. Did you have a favorite scene to write? Um, I really like, there was this scene that was the scene where I I knew. So there, there is a scene where, I, I'm trying not to spoil it, but like um, okay. some, a theme within the book is that once they play and she defeats him, uh, what Nolan really wants to do is to play against her again. And you don't really know why, because you're not in Nolan's uh, point of view in the book. Right. You, I think what Mallory suspects is that the reason he wants to play against her again is that he's he feels like slighted he's like i cannot believe you beat me i'm gonna beat you but like that's actually not really the reason and you find out nolan's motives as you know the book progresses but there is this specific scene when they finally play against each other and it's it's basically i i it's a turning point in their relationship and uh, I I knew what was going to happen in that scene. I feel like before I even started writing the book, like I knew that I wanted to put them in the situation of actually playing against each other and realizing that the reason why uh, they want to play against each other so bad has nothing to do with chess and everything to do with a lot of other things. So right. um, that scene was, was very... Um, kind of fun for me to write. I, I had like long parts of it already pre-written um, before, when I got there and I was like, oh yeah, finally I'm here. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love those scenes that like come, to, you know, kind of come to you early on, like before maybe even the story's taking shape. I always feel like those end up being my favorites in the end because it was like, right. oh, I knew this was going to be like a pivotal moment. It's always fun. And, and writing scenes around it to get you there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to go back a little bit to um, Mallory because Mallory is such a well-developed character and she's got lots of complicated layers to her life and her personality and her outlook on the world. Um, Talk about creating her and all the traits that make up who she is. She's really, 
She's fascinating. And um, in your author's note, you talk about stereotype threats. And how does that theory apply to Mallory? So I actually think Mallory is, uh, she's very interesting. I, I yes. love the writer. She is, uh, uh, I, I don't even know, like for me, she's very relatable. I, I don't know if she's likable or not, but I, I just truly felt for her. And I really enjoyed writing about this person who, like she makes so many mistakes and uh, sometimes she jumps to the wrong conclusion. And it, it, she's a very 18 year old, 18 year old. Yes. On, yeah. in, in, uh, so, sometimes she really makes choices that you're like, oh God, why are you doing that? But other times uh, um, she is wise beyond her years and she's very responsible. So she's kind of like this weird mix of yeah. uh, amazing and a mess that I, I just really enjoyed writing. Um, she takes care of her family. Uh, mm -hmm. She is very selfless, but at the same time, she cannot have a conversation with her best friend uh, to save her <laughs> life. <laughs> we, uh, it's, it's something, but it's something that is, you know, I know that I have been in situations like that where like I, I just acted like I was, 20 years younger than I actually was, which, you know, it's, uh, um, it's kind of mortifying uh, looking back at it. And I think that that's, you know, what happens at the end of the book with Mallory. She kind of like sort of has to confront all her mistakes and, uh, and become a better person, which I think is very important in YA generally. Um, stereotype threat is actually, so basically what stereotype threat is in, in very simple terms is, uh, what happens when someone's performance is uh, influenced uh, by the the stereotype that surrounds the group to which that person belongs? So one example in chess would be because the stereotype is that women are not as good as chess. If you remind women that they are not going to be that that this is a truth, universally acknowledged. If you remind women this before they play a game of chess, their performance is going to be worse than if you don't remind them. That's one example. It's, uh, um, I actually did my, um, my dissertation, well, not my dissertation, my thesis, my undergraduate thesis on, on this topic. Uh, and I, I just, uh, it's a topic that I always really, really loved. And uh, it's, it's true across a lot of fields. Uh, it's true for, you know, women in STEM. It's true for chess as well. Um, there is this really interesting study that actually uh, my advisor, my undergrad ad advisor did in which... Uh, um, basically, she had a bunch of chess players play online games. And uh, so there were, you know, a bunch of women, they were playing these online games. And in some cases, they were told that they were playing against men. In other cases, they were told that they were playing against women. And across the board, if they were told that they were playing against men, they performed uh, less well. And this was, you know... Wow. On whether they were actually performing against men, so generally, it's it's we are raised we as women, and you know this is true for a lot of different uh, marginalized groups. Absolutely, we think that we are less than, and then we, you know, it kind of becomes a, a sort of self fulfilling prophecy. So. Um, yeah, it was, I, I, it, it's something that was really fun to be able to include in this book. That's Wonderful. a really interesting 
Interesting. And it really segues well into my next question, which is, you know, one of your career focuses, obviously, that we mentioned earlier is in the field of neuroscience. And so you've already told us one way where your neuroscience and your writing have kind of coincided. So is that something that happens for you often? And is it conscious or is it just, you know, Patty, who's one of our hosts, always says we only have our own compost pile to work from. Like it's a part of your compost <laughs> pile. So it comes into your stories. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, my first book was, you know, about a grad student because I started writing it when I was a postdoc. So um, I... Yeah, I have. I had my own, I guess, compost pile. I had my own yeah. feelings toward academia to work through. Um, yeah. There was a lot of that, uh, uh, a lot of like sort of making fun of my daily life that happened in that book. And uh, um, that's that's why, you know, my first book was about a woman in STEM. Um, and then I, I'm going to be honest, I had a three book contract and the contract said that I had to write three rom-coms about setting STEM. And so that's what I did. I, did yeah, right. I love that. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that happened, but I, it is not to say that I, I hated it. <laughs> it was fun, but um, it's, uh, yeah. So that's, that's what happened. Um, I, I kept on writing about women in STEM and then, um, and then, yeah, like I'm, I have another book setting STEM coming out and then we'll see what happens, you know? Um, but it's definitely, like you said, you know, it's it's kind of the war that I know because especially if you're an academic, like we academics, some of us literally have never known anything else but academia. Like right. I know what an office is like because I have only ever been an academic. I mean, I know what an, an office, I know what a lab works like, right. but I don't know. Um, I don't know offices, so it would be very hard for me to write an office rom-com. Uh, but I, I definitely um, I definitely have other ideas and other things that I would love to write in the future. Yeah. Good. Uh, and I have no doubt that you could do that office rom-com. <laughs> um, so one of the other things I, I love about your writing and we love about your writing is that you're so funny. Your wit shines through the work. And, and I love, especially the, the best example is like, how did you come up with Rookie? R O O K dash I E. It wasn't me. Oh my God. This was 100% credits to Liz Sellers. She is my editor's assistant. And she is, I think, a. I think she's an assistant editor. I think that's her title. Like it's when you're not like a full editor, but you're almost an editor. It's right, like, right, yeah. And she's the one, like, I don't write my own summaries. I, I don't think. I don't think authors write their own summaries in general, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. But like, usually it's uh, my, my team writes the summary and she wrote the, like the rookie pun. And I was dying. I was like, why are you not the CEO of Penguin Random House? <laughs> <laughs> this. She, she's amazing. She's fantastic. And, and she's just generally awesome. She has uh, like, I think she's an awesome assistant editor. I, I really value her feedback as well. Uh, but yeah, like all credit goes to this. <laughs> you know that sometimes. That's really fun. Um, one time, one of my titles came, like the, I had a different book title and you know, the assistant editor was writing like the jacket copy and she sent it to me and I was like, 
oh my God, she like used this phrase and was like, this has to be the title. And like, everyone was like, yes, this has to be the title. Let's go for it. Um, Yeah. Like these people who have a little bit of distance from the material are much better when it comes to, I don't know, I would say either summarize or like just uh, finding a tag for the book, like a tagline. I agree with that. Yeah, because sometimes we're so bogged down in every detail that we're like, how do you even say this in like yeah. 10 sentences? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they're they really good. And, you know, the, the art of packaging a book, it's different from writing a book. Like selling a book is is just something that I, oh God, I would not know how to do it. So I'm, I'm just very impressed with everyone who works behind the scenes and is able to do this stuff. That's incredible. Okay. Well, you, you told us a little, you hinted at this a little bit, but can you tell us what to expect next from you? Is it your next STEM book or women in STEM? So actually my next book is a paranormal romance because, uh, yeah. So once my three book contract ended, my, my agent was like, this is your time. <laughs> you're never gonna, you're never gonna be in a better position to negotiate to write what you want to write. And she's like, "What do you want to write?" And I said, "A werewolf romance." <laughs> and so I that, this is awesome. I love it. So I and, and this is this is my one chance, I think. <laughs> and so I have this um, werewolf vampire arranged marriage uh, uh, romance coming out in uh, February. On February 6th, which I found out yesterday is National Werewolf, International Werewolf Day. Oh, sure. Okay. No way. <laughs> I love holidays. That's amazing. <laughs> My publicist emailed me. She was like, did you know this? And I was like, no. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. I love that. It is. It is. Okay. Can you tell our listeners how they can connect with you online about your upcoming projects and tour dates? Um, I really, the only platform I am on and update constantly is at this point, my Instagram. So Ali Hazelwood on Instagram. Great. I have a website that is alihazelwood.com. I have to update it. I will update it one of these days. I promise. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, We have had so much fun talking to you and it's been a great pleasure to learn more about you and your writing. So thank you I so love much it. for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Oh, thank you so much for I love learning more about Check and Mate, and I can't wait for people to get that in their hands. And a huge thank you to our listeners. We appreciate your support. Have you missed an episode and want to catch up? Visit friendsinfiction.com and check out past episodes on the podcast tab. Want to get your hands on a copy of Check and Mate? And yes, you do. Head mm-hmm. over to the bookshop.org Friends in Fiction page and save a little money while helping indie bookstores. We hope you'll join us next week and remember to bring a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.